This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Alrighty, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Good afternoon, good afternoon, good afternoon. It's good to see you all. I want to thank you all for coming out here. First of all, I'm just very happy to see like so many people out here during the winter. Imagine what it's going to look like after all the snowbirds get back. It's going to be wild. So thank you for coming out here. I really appreciate seeing you here. I want to thank the amazing staff at Yeshiva Bethlehem and Partners Detroit for making this beautiful, amazing lunch and learn. And I want to thank the amazing folk over at Torah Anytime. It's an app. It's a website. It's filled with incredible Jewish knowledge. Head on down. Peruse the titles and the rabbis and the incredible variety of speakers. Plug yourself in, download a class, listen, stream it, whatever you want to do, just make yourself into a brighter and better Jew. Alrighty, this week's Torah portion, ladies and gentlemen, is Parshas Yisro. And we're going to learn a lot of things, including why do Jews do weird things, especially Orthodox Jews. <laughs> Can you please get me a sitter also today? We're also going to talk about Shabbos a little. If you want to know what other weird things that Jews do, I'm doing it right now. You guys see this? I'm doing the Jewish, the Jewish shake, right? We call it a shuckle in Yiddish, right? They call it a shuckle in Yiddish. Why do we shuckle? What are we, what are we doing? What's going on? Why are the Jews always shaking? Should I tell you what else we do? We do things in sing-song. So Ravina asked, and the Gemara answered, everything's back and forth and up and down, Amar Bayos, like the Gemara, everything's like a tune, right? We're going to talk about all that today. But before we get to that, I want to talk about Shabbos. Why do I want to talk about Shabbos today? Because this week's Torah portion, last week's Torah portion, the Jews were already introduced to Shabbos. Last week's Torah portion is when the Jews discovered that there was a double portion of manna, and they came to Moses and said, what's up, what's up? And he said, tomorrow is Shabbos. And they were introduced to the basics of Shabbos. However, in this week's Torah portion is the Aseris Hadibros, the Ten Commandments, of which commandment number four is honor the Shabbos day. Now, what I want to specifically speak about for a moment is a unique phenomenon. The Torah repeats the Ten Commandments twice. Once in the book of Exodus, in Parshas Yisro, which is this week's Torah portion, and once in the book of Deuteronomy. Now, the entire Sefer Devarim, the entire book of Deuteronomy, is, in, includes an enormous amount of repetition. As a matter of fact, the word Deuteronomy comes from the prefix du, which means to, nomos, which means the law, a repetition of the law. The sages call Deuteronomy Mishneh Torah, a repeating, Mishneh, from the word Lishanot, to repeat, to review, from the word Shani, second, right? It's a repetition of the Torah. The, and be, the reason why that was is because the entire book of Deuteronomy takes place over the course of one week and one month, the last week and month of Moses' life, and at that time, he's preparing the Jewish people for, to finally go into the land of Israel. He's not going to go with them. They're going to go in. So all the important things that they were supposed to... Remember this before you go in, he repeated to them. But there are some unique differences in the Ten Commandments between the Ten Commandments as described in Exodus and the Ten Commandments described in the book of in, in, in the book of. Deuteronomy. And there is none that is more pronounced than the way Shabbos is described. Let's read it inside. 
In our Parsha, in this week's Parsha, Parsha's Yisro, when the Jewish people are being given the Torah, this is what it has to say about Shabbos. Wait, hold on, I've got to find it. Shpatim, Shalach. No. Here we go. This is Exodus chapter 20, verse 8. Shmos, Parak Chav, Pasuk Ches. Zachar es Yom HaShabbos Lakacho. Remember those words. Zachar es Yom HaShabbos Lakacho. Remember the Shabbos day to sanctify it. Sheshes Yamim Ta'avot Vosizakom Lachtecha. For six days you shall toil and labor and do all of your work. And on the seventh day is a day of returning to Hashem your God. You shall not do any creative labor. You and your son, and your daughter, your servant, and your maidservant, and even your animals, and the proselyte in your, the convert within your midst. Because in six days Hashem created the heavens and the earth, the seas and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day, therefore God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. Now that is in the book of Exodus. Now let's go to the book of Deuteronomy. Let us go to the book of Deuteronomy. Where is it found in Deuteronomy? I believe it's in chapter 5. I hope that I'm right, because we'll be flipping through Deuteronomy for a while over here, guys, if I'm wrong. Yeah, luckily. Baruch Hashem, here we go. Now we're going to be in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 5, verse 12. Shamar! As Yom HaShabbos Lakacho. Safeguard the Shabbos day to sanctify it. You guys remember what we said last time? Zachar. You guys remembered. Zachar. Ah, you Zachard. Okay, here we go. We said before, Zachar as Yom HaShabbos Lakacho. Here we say, Shamar as Yom HaShabbos Lakacho. Ka'ashir Tzivcha Hashem Elokecha as Hashem your God has commanded you. Sheish as Yom Tavod Vasizkomachtecha and so on and so forth. It, it does. It's it's more similar, but there's and there's a, a loop at the end that is not at all present. And you shall remember that you were a servant in Eretz Mitzrayim, a slave in Eretz Mitzrayim. took you out with an outstretched hand and a powerful arm. Therefore, Hashem has commanded you to do the Shabbos, which is fascinating. How'd that even get in there? Shabbos is celebrating the creation of the earth, not the exodus from Egypt. But we know that on Shabbos we all say, You probably all say it with that exact same tone, okay? I'm sure. <laughs> so in the two times the Ten Commandments are described, one says, Zachar is Yemah Shabbos Lakacho, one says, Shamar is Yemah Shabbos Lakacho. Why? I want to share with you an idea that's beautiful and will hopefully, hopefully help you understand a part of the Friday night davening. The most beautiful prayer, I don't want to play favorites over here, they're all beautiful, but one of the most beautiful prayers in the Friday night davening is the... Which? 
Song of Songs, very good. What else? Who said it? L'chadodi. Right, a little bit of a crowd favorite over here, huh? I'm getting a lot more song L'chadodis than Song of Songs. And that's okay, right? Shira Shirim is beautiful. Um, let's go to L'chadodi for a moment. L'chadodi. Okay, here we go. No need to sing it right now, ladies and gentlemen. You can all keep your day job and I'll try to keep mine, although mine includes at times busting out in song. Okay, here we go. Shamar v'zachar b'dibor echad. Shamar v'zachar b'dibor echad. The sages, the Kabbalists, the commentaries all say that even though in Deuteronomy it says Shamar and in Exodus it says Zachar, that at Sinai, God actually said the two of them at the same time. Now that is something that you cannot do. Right? You cannot say two things at once. Now, (laughs) you guys are like, oh really, Rabbi? Have you ever seen somebody invite their mother-in-law into the house? Their mouth is saying, come on in, Ma, it's good to see you. Their body is screaming, what? (laughs) So we can sometimes say one thing with our mouths and say some other things with our body language. However, the ability to say two things out of your mouth at once, we don't have that ability. Right? We cannot say stop and go at the same time. It doesn't work. Now, on a trip to Israel that we had a couple years ago, we had an amazing, we, had a, we, we, we rented out an entire boutique hotel in Tzfat. And we had this group called Simply Tzfat come to uh, play for us. And it was like our own concert, just us, sitting on the steps outside the boutique hotel, drinking wine, amazing Israeli, the best kosher wine, best, best wine in the world. Best wine in the world is Israeli wine, of course. They actually have won many international prizes. And the ones that they didn't win, it's because they don't really understand the nuances of fine wine. In any case... Uh, we're sitting on the steps, drinking delicious Israeli wine, watching these guys play for us. And one of the guys, who was actually a substitute, he was a fill-in. The reg- one of the regulars was not there. It's, it's a band of three. One of the regulars was not there. This guy was a substitute, but he was off the charts. He played all kinds of wind instruments. So like um, saxophone and um, clarinet and all that. But then, then he just pulled out simple, what's that read, the little... What's that called? The recorder. You know what I'm talking about? Like a simple plastic recorder that you can buy for in the 99 cent store, which, by the way, with inflation is now the $1.50 store or whatever it is. <laughs> right? So that's simple. And then, so he's playing beautiful music with like the simplest plastic reed, you know, like, you know, like a little recorder, a little like mini flute, whatever they call that thing. Then he does something wild. He starts playing out of both sides of his mouth. But then he starts playing one side is, is melody and one side is harmony. Then he starts playing two different songs that work beautifully together out of the same mouth at once. It was unbelievable to see. And even he could not say two things out of his mouth at once. But God can, because he's cool like that. God is infinite. At Har Sinai, God said, Zachar v'shamar bedibor echad. When it got written out in the Torah, you can't write two words on the same space. So one was written in Exodus, and one was written in Deuteronomy. But when God spoke to the Jewish people at Mount Sinai, Zachar v'shamar bedibor echad. Hashem said them both at the same exact time. So let's look now at this beautiful... 
part of our Lechadodi. Shamar, let's read the whole stanza first. Shamar v'zachar b'dibor echad. Safeguard and remember in one statement, Hishmianu kelam yuchad, the singular and unique God made us here. Hashem echad ushma echad. Hashem is one and His name is one. L'shem ultiferes v'lesila. For His name, ultiferes, and for tiferes, which is like glory and splendor, ulesihila and praise. What does it even mean? It's like... There used to be a thing <clears throat> in the uh, in the in the '90s. There was a style of music called alternative or grunge, Seattle. But a lot of it, it was just like one of the things that they became known for was like making really, really cryptic statements. Just like they made no sense, you know, like really, really no sense. The king of that would have been a guy named Beck. Who you read his lyrics, and you're like, I don't even know where I'm going. Where is the exit ramp? Where's the on ramp? You know what I'm saying? Like his words made no sense. They just like the string together statements. You know, um, my brother used to be really good at, at reading them off. But anyway, so he 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 they made no sense. This this statement over here, what is it saying? Zachar and Shamar were said together by a unique God. Okay, that I, I kind of can hear that. But then Hashem Echad, his name is one, like, where did that come in? What's the connection to Hashem is one? That's what we say by Shema, right? So, that's what we say by Shema, and then, um, hold on a second, I'm going to... And then you have, L'Shem, um, Ultiferes, Velasilah, for name, and for splendor, and for praise. Like, how did this all get here? Um, so, I want to, let's try to unpack this. Only a unique and infinite God can say two things at once. Human beings don't have that ability. We're not equipped with the equipment to say two things at once. Only God can say two things at once. Hashem Hashem is one and His name is one. Where else do we speak about that? We speak about Hashem being one and His name is one in the Shema. And that's actually one of the greatest secrets of reality. Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad is a statement that essentially tells us that Hashem, which is Hashem, is the name used to describe Hashem interacting with us with kindness, compassion, and Elokeinu, which is God interacting with us with discipline and great judgment, is really Hashem Echad. Even though God appears to be very strict and disciplinarian, He's only doing it out of love. Which is... One of the hardest things to understand. We know that theodicy, the question of why do bad things happen to good people, is the most difficult question in all of history. And our statement, our affirmation of faith, Shema Yisrael Hashem Elkeinu Hashem Echad, addresses it. It says, you think there's two Hashems. There's one God who's the nice guy, and there's one God who's the disciplinarian, and the angry guy. No, it's, it's all kindness. We just don't necessarily understand how or why. Often we can look back in our lives and see experiences that we went through, that when we went through them were considered to be like the worst thing that ever happened to us. In hindsight, they were actually the best. For example, a person who went through a horrifically traumatic terrorist attack and his life is shattered, but then ends up going to through a therapeutic process and meets his wife. Right? And you, when it first happened, you're like, why? Why are you doing this to me, God? 
Why in the world did I have to go through this? You look back and you can see, well, God was sending you the greatest gift in your life. It came wrapped in a tough package. So, there are times where we can look back and understand Hashem Echad. There are times where we won't. There are times we'll have to wait till we get to heaven to understand why things happen. But the concept that kindness and discipline are the only way, the only way you get perfection in the world is when kindness and discipline are perfectly merged. Shabbos will only be Shabbos if you have the, the beauty of Shabbos and the discipline of Shabbos. Why did God specifically say this commandment out of all the commandments? God had ten commandments, plus another 603 if you count the other ones. But He had ten commandments that He said to us at Sinai, and specifically this one He chose to say two words at the same time out of His mouth, like He's showing off a, a, a magic trick. Look at me, I'm God, I can say two things at once. No. This speaks of the essence of Shabbos. Shabbos will only work when you combine the beautiful do's of Shabbos, which is what we call Zachar's Yom HaShabbos, the remembrances, the doing, the kiddish, the meals, the singing, the sitting together as a family, the Shabbos dinners, the Shabbos meals, the Zmiros, the singing around the table. That's all the do's of Shabbos. Then you have the discipline part of Shabbos. Shamar is Yom HaShabbos Lekadjo. Safeguard Shabbos. And there's all the don'ts. Don't drive on Shabbos. Don't cre- use creative, you know, don't, don't engage with the creative parts of your experience. Don't use electricity. Of course, it doesn't mean don't use electricity. You'll have electricity running in your house. But don't, you know, make, everything has to be prepared before Shabbos. Don't use your phone on Shabbos. Don't use your TV on Shabbos. Don't engage with the outside world on Shabbos. Don't spend your Shabbos gardening or cooking. Spend your Shabbos living. Do the gardening and cooking ahead of time. Prepare for Shabbos on Friday. But Hashem is telling us the reason why specifically this commandment, God is saying out of two sides of His mouth with two different words, is because these the, the Shabbos experience only works when it's fully integrated. Hashem Echad Ushmo Echad, the same God whose name is one name, but is a perfect bringing together of Hashem and Elokeinu, the God of discipline and the God of kindness, is the same Hashem who's telling us, I want you to experience what it feels a little bit to be spiritually elevated. And in order to do this, you're going to have to have an experience that is a blend of kindness and discipline. And if you try to check one at the door and do the other, it's not going to work. And I'll give you both examples. If you say, I'm going to do all the do's. I'm going to have Shabbat dinner. And I'm going to do the Kiddush. And I'm going to go to Shul. But I'm also going to go fishing. And I'm also going to go this. And I'm all... you, Your Shabbos, unfortunately, it, it, the, the, the shelf life of that Shabbos it degrades super quick. And it, and it just gets lost. And it, it ends up not being able to hold what it's supposed to hold. And the flip side is true, too. I used to study with a guy who was a lawyer. And he had a son who was at University of Michigan. And he tells me, my son keeps Shabbos. I said, really? I was surprised. He said, yeah, yeah. I said, does he go to, uh, he go to services on Friday night? Because I had been to Ann Arbor for Shabbos a couple times. 
And this is going back years ago, like 12, 13, 14, 15 years ago. I've been to Ann Arbor for Shabbos when I hadn't seen his son. He said, now he doesn't go to services. Because, you know, in, in the, there's services in, uh, in the Hillel, they've got all kinds of services, right? He doesn't go to services. So you go to Shabbat dinners? Does he go to the JRC? Does he go to the Hillel? Does he go to Chabad? Where does he go for Shabbat dinner? No, he doesn't go to Shabbat dinner. He's in the morning? Anything? No. He just sits in his room all day. <laughs> he studies. I said to my friend, I don't know how to break this to you. There's not a chance in the world that your son is keeping Shabbos. Because if he's not engaging in all the beauty of Shabbos, the prayers and the meals and the togetherness and the community and the joy and the, the kiddish, there's no way he's able to hold off and just keep doing the don'ts. I mean, he keep not doing the don'ts while he's not doing the do's either. It's a pack, Shabbos is a package deal. Shabbos is a package deal. That's why Hashem said it as a package deal. Now, guess what? The good news is I'm fully cognizant of the fact that in this room, not everybody is fully doing Shabbos on both ends of the deal. And guess what? That's fine. Because life is long and beautiful and let's work on it. We can all work on making our Shabbos more Zachar and more Shamar. More embracing of the do's and more holding off on the don'ts. A person, I'm a big fan of having a Shabbos room in your house. Maybe you're not up to doing Shabbos fully. And if you came to me and you tell me, Rabbi, I've never done Shabbos in my life, but I want to do the whole thing, I'd be like, slow down, cowboy. (laughs) I don't know that God wants you to do the whole thing right away. Because God wants you to have a sustainable, slow growth process. Why don't you pick a room in your house and say, this room is my Shabbos room. And that's where you go Friday night after the meal. You don't bring your electronics in with you. No phone. You just go, you sit, you read, you do something, talk, schmooze, play a board game. That's your Shabbos room. And you can take over, slowly, Shabbos rooms start taking over your house. First, it's just the, the library, you know, where you sit over there after the meal. And then maybe you say, you know what, even the dining room, we don't need to have our phones at the Shabbos table. The dining room also will be a Shabbos room. The bedroom. Eventually, the kitchen. You know, Shabbos can grow in your house. People say, do you keep Shabbos? Shabbos is not an all or nothing. Right? Shabbos is a project. And for many people, it can be a multi-multi-year project. You could say, I'm not using my cell phone from the time the sun goes down from candlelighting until Shabbos morning. I know many people who have done that. And to their incredible benefit. Obviously, if God forbid there's a life-threatening accident or something, you know, whatever, someone falls or whatever, I'm not talking about that. I'm standard. I just don't use my cell phone until Shabbos morning. There's a lot of ways... To bring more Shamar and more Zachar into your life. Zachar also, the dues of Shabbos. I have people, I say, I'm just like, say, look, just, just make Kiddush Friday night. Bring an awareness of Shabbos. I'm not telling you to do anything else. Right? Maybe you don't, maybe your family don't do anything for Shabbos right now. And you don't have to do the whole Shabbos. Just Kiddush Friday night. Are you going to eat on Friday? I assume you're going to eat. Most Americans eat on Friday night and every other night. And in the afternoon, in the morning, and three snacks in between, and a midnight snack. I get it. Chances are high you're going to eat Friday night. Just bust out a cup of good kosher, nice wine, and make kiddush. That's it. There'll be a different awareness in your home. A home that has kiddush on Friday night is not the same as a home that doesn't have Friday night kiddush. Period. The end. There's one little difference. It makes a total difference in the home. 
Let's go back to the Lechadodi. Shamar v'zachar b'dibrachar. Hashem said both the do's of Shabbos and the don'ts of Shabbos at the one time. Hishmianu kelam yuchara. A very unique God did that. Nobody else can do that. Nobody else can say two things at once. And the reason He said the two things at once are because... The kindness of Shabbos, the beauty of Shabbos, the joy of Shabbos is linked with the discipline of Shabbos. That's how every relationship works. Think about a marriage. A marriage is only a marriage if there's both the love and the kindness and the beauty and the joy, but also the discipline to maintain it, to maintain the sanctity of the marriage, to maintain the respect. Everything has to work on dual tracks. Hashem Echad Ushmo Echad, Hashem who is one, which is made up of a perfect bringing together of kindness and discipline, is the same one who's telling you that Shabbos, where you get to experience a little bit of what God is like. Shabbos is a little portion of what the next world is like, and the next world is basically experiencing God on a more intimate level. So Shabbos is you want to experience God a little, well, God says, I am one made up of these two components, the kindness and the discipline. You got to do that for Shabbos too. L'shem, old Tiferes, for the name of God, but also the Tiferes. Tiferes is the Kabbalistic trait that describes the perfect blend of kindness and discipline. When we talk about it in, in after Sfiras HaOmer, during Sfiras HaOmer, we go through the seven Kabbalistic traits of kindness, discipline, glory, endurance, humility, foundation, and kingship. Chesed, Gevura, Tiferes, Netzachot, Yisod, Machos. What does Tiferes mean? Tiferes means the perfect blend of kindness and discipline. L'shem, Ula Tiferes! That is the splendor of Shabbos, that's the splendor of God. The perfect blend of kindness and discipline. Ula Tzila, that's worthy of true praise. Being able to achieve the blend and balance, which is such a difficult thing in our lives to achieve. Perfect balance. When we can achieve that, that is worthy of great, great, great praise. So that is step number one. Understanding the beauty and joy of Shabbos. Understanding that Shabbos has to be a combination of the do's and the don'ts. A beautiful bringing together of the do's and the don'ts. And an understanding that we all, every one of us, myself included, all have next steps that we can take in increasing our do's of Shabbos. And next steps that we can take in increasing our don'ts of Shabbos. And as long as we're doing that, the beauty and the joy just keeps growing and growing. I want to tell you an amazing story about what Shabbos meant to somebody. There's a book called All for the Boss about an incredible human being whose name was Rabbi Yaakov Yosef Herman. Rabbi Yaakov Yosef Herman was born in Slutsk, back in Lithuania. You guys remember Slutsk? (laughs) (laughs) He was born in Slutsk, and then he moved to America with his family at the age of eight. Fascinatingly, his family actually went back. They didn't find America to be the golden Medina they thought it was. His family left him back, went back, and they left him. He was all on his own. All on his own from the time he was um, 15. He ended up getting married. He opened up his house. He constantly had a never-ending stream of strangers and rabbis and all kinds of people. And you could read about his life, the way he was so meticulous in his honesty and business, everything. He, He was a remarkable, remarkable human being. 
And finally, he and his wife decided that they were going to embark upon a dream they had had from the time they got married. They were going to move to Israel. And the year they decided to sell everything and move to Israel was 1939. They got on a boat in August of 1939. And it was supposed to dock on Wednesday in Haifa. Okay? Weeks later, obviously. And Rabbi Yaakov Yosef Herman already had sent ahead of time letters, communication. There was a rabbi who lived in Haifa who he was going to spend the Shabbos by. And uh, he was going to be able to, because until, until he got all his papers in order, he had to spend a couple of days near the port. And then he was going to continue on to Jerusalem. The boat had to be diverted around its normal shipping lane because there was concerns that that the, the shipping lanes were mined. This is when the Germans were mining shipping lanes. So they had to divert around their regular path, and they end up docking on, instead of Wednesday, they docked on Friday. Now that Friday happened to be September 1st, 1939. Anybody recognize that date in history? Exactly. That is literally the day that the Germans invaded Poland and began World War I. So if you can imagine, their boat comes in... World War II, sorry, thank you. You remember World War I. <laughs> so, this is literally the day that, that they're docking and they're, the war has just broken out. And now, every ship needs to get back to its port of call, whatever it is. And there is... They, they get over the speakers, there's English people, the, so the port was controlled by the English, and they say, basically, everybody disembark, we're going to be taking every little bit of luggage. You know, normally a, a boat is at dock for a while, things come off on a slow pace, they're like, we are getting everything off this boat, we're throwing it all here in this big plaza, and then we're going, we, got, we have to take this boat back to England. The problem is, it's a few hours before Shabbos. There's no way they're going to be able to keep Shabbos if they stay here and get their stuff. Now remember, they're moving. They have all their belongings with them. Rabbi Yaakov Yosef Herman and his wife walk over to the Englishman. There was an English guard there, an English military guy there, who's in charge of the ports, and they say, we need to leave. He's like, leave? You didn't get your stuff yet. He said, it doesn't make a difference. It's almost my Sabbath, and I got to uh, I got to go keep Sabbath. So I'll just come pick them up on Saturday night. The Englishman says, "Are you out of your mind? Here's what's going to happen: every bit of luggage is going to be th- tossed off this ship, and it's going to end up in this big square. There's going to be a frenzy. We're going to be here helping people process it. We're going to be gone by the time night, you know, by, by, by midnight tonight." Anything left on this dock will be stolen in 10 minutes. The rabbi says, that's the price I'm willing to pay. If you can please stab my passport. So he calls over his commanding officer. He says, these Jews, they they just want to leave. He says, how many, how much cargo do you have? How many bags do you have? He said, we have 16 crates 
and nine suitcases. They were literally moving with everything they have. 16 crates and nine suitcases. The only things they had was he had a satchel that had his own personal safe Torah in it, and she had one bag that was with her in the, in the room. 16 crates with all their belongings and nine suitcases. And he says, so the, the guy calls over his commanding officer. The commanding officer is like, do you understand what we're talking about over here? I, I promise you, sir, you, you're not, you, no one's, no one, this is going to be gone. And the rabbi says, I understand. They stamp his passport, he gets into a cab, and he gets to the rabbi's house right before Shabbos. The entire Shabbos, Rabbi Yaakov Yosef Herman had just like the most serene look of peace and serenity. And he said to his wife, God gives me so much. How often do I really have the opportunity to give back? Shabbos every week for me is such a pleasure, such a delight, such a joy. How often do I get to give back to God? This is really an opportunity for me to give back to God. And I do it with such joy. The wife had a little bit more of a difficult time. It was very big. Of a, it, was, it, was just, it really was a struggle for her. But she did not complain. When Shabbos was over, the rabbi says, Look, let's go to the port. Maybe, maybe you have some... You had, I'm sure in your crates you had books, like holy books and all that. And the Arabs who pilfered the dock, they probably maybe they left your books behind because what are they going to do with Jewish books? So fine, they get into a car, they go down to the docks, and there's an English soldier patrolling the docks. Who goes there? And he says, Yaakov Yosef Herman. He says, Rabbi, Rabbi Herman from New York? He says, yeah. He says, oh, thank God you're here. He's like, what do you mean? He says, We've been commanded by our commanding officer to watch this around the clock. I was told you would get here as soon as the sun sets. You're a little bit late, Rabbi. I don't know, but here you are. And there they come into the plaza and sitting there under a covered area of the docks, nine suitcases and 16 crates. That's the amazingness. The amazingness is not that they had it. Of course, that God provided for them with incredible miracles is amazing. But, but the amazingness is that he was willing to give it up. And with such joy and equanimity. Now I want to talk about why we Jews do weird things. I promise you that. <laughs> Here we go. Okay. We are a shuckling people. Again, the word shuckling means to shake. Okay? Now there are many different forms of shaking. Right? There's the there's the medium rate. This is the medium rate, okay? It's the back, it's the back and forth, right? Then there's the speedy intense. <laughs> right, now by the way, if you're listening to this later, you gotta watch it. This won't work if you're just listening to it. Anyway. Then there's like this the very, very slow. Then there's the side-to-side, ladies and gentlemen. Now, side-to-side comes in different versions. There's a side-to-side with your feet planted, like the Shimon Esrei side-to-side, where your feet are planted straight, but you're moving laterally. Right? And then there's the side-to-side with your feet spread far apart. And there's all different kinds of versions of this, right? 
<laughs> you never seen that one? That's that's what I do during davening. Like throughout the davening, we're going to do that. We're going to maybe discover today that's not the best kind of shuckling. There's actually we're going to see there's there's ratings on the shucklings, like rabbinical ratings on the shucklings, and we're going to find today that this kind of shuckling. This is now. This is not exactly. This is not side. This, this is not perfect lateral. That would be like this. It would be a little bit weird. This is a little. This is like a little bit north of of, of east. So it's like it's a little bit of a, uh, a diagonal, right? If you notice the axis over here, it's a little bit of a diagonal, right? Okay, but that's the side to side. And then there's different versions of that too. You also have certain specialty items, right? Like like here we go, <laughs> the rocketeer. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you can see my hands, but it's like it's like it's like a jumping up and down with your hands pumping at your side. There's the rocketeer, you know what I'm saying? There's there's a couple other special items, right? Why do we do this? Furthermore, why do we why do we get into song, you know what I'm saying, when we when we talk, right? So so why does the Torah say that you're not allowed to go out on Shabbos if sometimes going out is relaxing? And the answer is... <laughs> do you notice anybody else do that? Have you ever gone to a sociology class at Wayne State University and the professor's like, so why do some people engage in different forms of self-harm? The answer is because they have had traumas in their life and because of that... No, they just they speak. We sing. <laughs> you ever notice that? There we go. So there's there's a lot there's a lot going on. There's a lot going on, but don't worry, my friends. This is not by chance. The Rokeach, one of the great commentators on the Torah, writes that when the Ten Commandments were said to the Jewish people, they were said with a tune. It wasn't just like, I am the Lord your God. It was more like, there was a tune to it. I don't, I don't know what the tune was, so I'm not going to try to even like, I don't want to like, I don't want to try to copy God saying it with a tune, but the Aseris Dibros were said in a tune. And maybe it was like, we read the Torah, maybe it was like the tropes. Anochi Hashem melekecha sheretesicha me'eret mitzrayim mi'beis avodim Maybe it was like that. Maybe it was trope. I, I don't know the tune. But the Rokeach says that the Aseris Adibros, the Ten Commandments, were said with a tune. And that Jacob, our forefather, knew that tune and taught it to his children. And that when any prophet would prophesize, he would prophesize in that tune. Isn't that fascinating? So like... When Isaiah or Ezekiel would come, or Jeremiah would come and prophesize the words of God to the Jewish people, they wouldn't say it as a straight statement. It would be said with a tune. Interestingly, another great commentary, the Chizkuni, says that he himself one time had a dream, and in his dream he heard the Ten Commandments being said over in a, a beautiful tune. This explains why you're supposed to learn Torah with a niggin, with a, a tune to it. As a matter of fact, the Gemara says in Tractate Megillah, page 32a, 32a, Amar of Shvatya, Amar of Yochanan, 
Rav Shvatya says in the name of Rav Yochanan, zimra. And again, this is even how I'm saying it right now. There's like a, there's a lilting sound to it. If you read Torah without a sweet and sort of a, without a songing type of, sweet song type of cadence or tone to your voice, a love hakasuv omer about him, the Pasuk says, I must have given them bad statutes if they don't enjoy it enough to sing along, to, to create a, like a, a, a song out of it, so to speak. Because Torah needs to be because Torah needs to be learned the way it was given. And just as God gave it to us on Sinai with a tune, so too it needs to be learned with a tune. As David, King David says, Zmiros Hayulichukecha, as songs were your statutes to me. Interestingly enough, there's a there's a there's a verse in Joshua that says that a sorry, it's a verse in Psalms that talks about a person learning day and night. He studies the Torah day and night. The translation of that is not he studies Torah day and night, but it's he sings Torah day and night. The translation. The, the uncle's translation is Ba'oyrei say in his Torah, Miranein Yomam Velele, and it, he sings. Now, of course, we know that there are different tunes for different parts of the Torah. The Torah has its own tune, the Nevi'im have their own tune, the prophets, and the books of the writings have their own tune. For example, Torah. That is Torah. Then you have Nevi'im. And then you go to the writings. Shir Hashirim Hashir L'Shleimai each one has its own tune. So not only do we have the idea that the Torah was given over with a tune, different parts of the Torah have their own tunes as well. Now here's where it gets even wilder. We have an oral law and a written law. So the, the written Torah is the Torah, the Nevi'im, and the Ksuvim. The books of the five books of Moses, the prophets, and the writings. The oral law starts with the Mishnayis, continues on with the Gemara, the Talmud. So it starts with the Mishnah, continues with the Talmud. Now, of course, even though that was meant to always be oral, and according to many opinions of the Torah, according to many opinions, it's forbidden to write it down, eventually there came a time where Rabbi Yehuda the prince in the year 180 of the Common Era, realized that if the Torah was not written down, it was going to be lost because the Jewish people were just being dispersed. When we got exiled into Babylonia, we knew there was a 70-year exile, we'd come back. But this is 180 after, of the Common Era. It's over 100 years after the base of Migdash was destroyed, the Second Temple was destroyed. We didn't know when we were going to go back. We had no idea when we were going to make it back. So, at this point, Rabbi Yehuda, and we're also getting spread further and further out, in the first, the first the destruction of the first temple, we were all exiled to Babylonia. But by the destruction of the second temple, we still had a significant chunk of people living in Babylonia. 
because only about 10% of the Jews came up when they were allowed to move back from Babylonia, back in Persia, Babylonia, back into Israel. But they rebuilt. They had a beautiful Second Temple era, fraught with political and religious strife, but it lasted over 400 years. There are still plenty of Jews living in Babylonia and Persia, but now Jews are being taken in slave ships to Rome, and from there they're being dispersed across the entire Roman kingdom. So Rabbi Huda the prince realizes they have to write down the Mishnah. Until then, how do they remember the Mishnah? They didn't write it down. If the Torah, the, the five books of Moses, and the 24 books, you know, the, the books of the prophets and the books of the writing, they, they wrote it down. It was written law. You were supposed to write it down. As a matter of fact, there's opinions that, that say you're not supposed to say even a single verse of the written law just by memory. You're supposed to say it from a, write, a, 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 a text. The written law is supposed to be read from the writings, and the oral law is supposed to be only oral. So how do they remember this vast body of Torah knowledge? And the answer is, they used to make it into songs. Now, I remember one day I was watching, I was actually right out here on Lincoln, on Lincoln Boulevard. <laughs> I was standing on Lincoln Boulevard, and some of these kids were coming home from, from the, the school right over here on Lincoln, right? And they were singing urban melodies, also known as rap, okay? <laughs> urban melodies. And it was unbelievable to watch them, because these kids... They knew these raps word for word. These raps, I mean, they're long. They're lengthy, right? We didn't get to the world of absolute music degeneracy of today where it's just like, just say, you know, a few dirty words and you're done. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is a different era of, this is... (laughs) Actually, music has just been degenerate for years, for decades. But the raps, I mean, I would never be able to say those raps back to you. God forbid, because I wouldn't get like three words in. Anyway, but... They remembered everything. They were just walking there. Remember, they were literally they were walking on, on the wall. Like, you know, sometimes you try to balance yourself walking on the wall. They're like walking on the wall, and they're like just reciting raps and raps and raps and raps and raps. I was like, wow. And I realized that's the power of when you put something into a song. The way the people remember the oral law is they made it into song. And here comes something fascinating. Throughout the Talmudic texts, the Talmud will often ask, the Mishnah over here says X, but the Mishnah over there says Y. And then the Gemara will answer, the following answer, Chasuri Mechasra, it's missing a statement. V'hachi Ketani, this is what it really should say. The question is, if it's missing a statement, why didn't they fix it? Right? It's been around for a long time. Why did they fix it? And the answer that I saw over here, it was written in the name of the Raj Bates. I don't personally know the Raj Bates, but he's the one, he wrote a safer called Mugain Avos. And he writes that the reason why they preserved the text of the Mishnah, even though it was missing a statement, so to speak, was because that is how it fit into the song, and that was the only way they would be able to get it remembered. And they kind of relied on you to recognize, wait, there's this and there's this, and to come to that resolution. Not unbelievable. Okay, now we don't today know the actual tunes they used back in the day. Can you imagine if you could see a YouTube video of Rabbi Akiva's students 
Because Rabbi Kiva was many, many decades before Rabbi Huda the Prince. Rabbi Huda the Prince is the one who wrote down the Mishnah. Rabbi Kiva died decades before him. Could you imagine watching Rabbi Kiva let out his, his Torah class and everyone's getting out and singing out their Mishnayas that they just learned that day? Could you imagine the YouTube video? Unbelievable. Now, it also says, though, why do we shuckle? I'm sorry. We didn't, we didn't do that. Why do we shuckle? We shuckle because when the Jewish people uh, when the Jewish people got the Torah at Mount Sinai, it says that they were shaking. And the people saw and they were like, they were like shaking and, and trembling. So that's why we shake when we learn the Torah. And I want to read to you... Um, Where is it? Oh, no, it's here. It's in this book. It says the following. According to some opinions, there's two phrases that it says. Okay? The Avud Raham, which is again another great Jewish commentator, he says, the Jewish people have a custom to shake while they read because that's when the Torah was given, everyone was shaking, as the verse says, Vayar Ha'am Vayanu in our parsha, and the people saw and they were trembling. And it says, all my bones, another verse that says this, it says, Kol atzmosai tomarna Hashem mikamocha. All of my bones say Hashem, who is like you? Now if I'm just talking right now and I'm standing still, my, my femur is not saying anything. But when I'm shaking like this, Kol atzmosai tomarna Hashem mikamocha. All my bones, every bit of my body, I want to engage my full body in the singing of the praises of Hashem. That's another reason why we shake. And... It says over here in the Ramah, the Ramosha Issos, who wrote the Jewish Code of Law, or at least part of it, he writes, and Vinahaguhamidakim, those who are careful, had the custom, Lisnonea, to shake Bishashakorim Torah when they read the Torah. And there's another verse though. Is side to side of the same value as front and back shaking? Here's the answer, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> in the Archas Chaim. It says, and the custom that the Jewish people to shake while they study is not an empty custom. Because it says in the Bereshus Rabbah, in the, in the Medrash, the Torah was only given in the merit of the Jewish people's bowing and bowing to show their, like, their acceptance and that their submission to Hashem's words. Shenemar v'hishtachavisem mirachok. You bowed from the distance. When Hashem gave the Torah, v'hishtachavisem mirachok. You bowed from a dis- distance. Ulefikach. And therefore... You should not shake side to side, only in a forward motion, which is like a bowing motion. Huh? Did you know that? You did not know that before today. There we go. And therefore, it's, it says over here that if you want to know, if you want to do premium shuckling, it's got to be forward and back shuckling, not side to side shuckling. And I can't imagine enriching your lives with any more information more powerful than that. So thank you so much for coming. Thank you for listening. And thank you for being awesome. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.